1: Invite those who are able to please stand for the call to worship. You, O Lord, are our strength and our shield, our rock and our salvation. You, O Lord, are holy. You alone, O Lord, are perfect love. You alone are perfect truth. And you alone, O Lord, are worthy of praise. Let us worship God. God is the God of justice, waiting to be gracious to you, yearning to have pity on you. Blessed are all who wait for the Lord. In penitence and in faith, let us confess our sins to Almighty God. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare those who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent according to your promises declare to the world in Christ Jesus our lord and grant o merciful god for his sake that we may live a holy just and humble life to the glory of your holy name Steadfast love of the Lord, excuse me, there. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. All who are in Christ are new creations. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven.
2: Good morning. Happy St. Patrick's Day. So, how many of you keep a calendar at home? Be a calendar of everything you have to do during the week. I have to keep a calendar on my phone now because I can't keep up with everything and it kind of comes in handy. So, you know, you could keep a calendar, it could have, you know, be a busy week like school all week and then sports or practice or anything like that. So today in Children's Church, we're going to talk about a busy week that Jesus had. So, you know, we think our weeks are busy, but he really had a busy week. All in a matter of a week, he did a lot of things. I had to write them all down because I couldn't remember all of them. But he rode in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He cleaned out the temple. He taught us the greatest commandment and to give all we have. So then, on top of that, he had the Last Supper. He was betrayed, arrested, crucified, and he rose again. He did that all in a matter of a week. It's pretty amazing. So we'll talk about it a little bit more in Children's Church this morning. So if you want to pray with me in three, two, one. Dear Lord, thank us all for being here today. And help us through the weeks that we have. And understand they're not as long as the week Jesus lived. So please help us in the days leading up to Easter and look after us this next week. And all God's children say, Amen.
1: Let us pray. All knowing, all gracious God, challenge our minds Where they need to be challenged, and encourage our wills where they need encouragement, and comfort our hearts where they need comforting. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Invite those who are able to please stand for our first lesson. It is from Psalm 51, reading the first 17 verses. Listen now to the Word of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
0: Once again, those who are able are invited to stand for our second lesson. It comes to us from the Gospel of John in the 8th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Listen to God's Word speak to your life this morning. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning He came into the temple. And all the people were coming to Jesus, and He sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the midst, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing Jesus in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, Jesus straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, They began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman where she had been in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Does anybody have one of those little prayer cards in the, in the pews with you? We have these little, we have little prayer cards in the pews, and last week we handed out the prayer cards that are part of the 40-hour prayer vigil. I just want to call to your attention those prayer cards and the prayer cards that we have available for the prayer vigil. And I also want to say something to those of you who worship with us through our television ministry. And I realize we can't actually hand you one of those cards, or you can't find it in the pew But you are a part of us, and we want you to be part of our 40-hour prayer vigil. We supplied those cards to those of you who are at Spring Harbor who worship with us faithfully week in and week out in that place. But we also want to say to those of you who also make this a type of church home when you're not able to worship in your own church that we would like for you to be part of this prayer vigil. And so, call the church. Visit our website, columbusfpc.org. Email us. Get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook. And let us know your prayer requests. And we have faithful prayer warriors that will join you in lifting those prayers to the God that hears them and answers them. So, take part in this incredible ministry that we have in our midst the ministry of prayer uh, in this season of Lent looking forward to Easter. So there is a man named Richard Bimler and he wrote a book entitled Angels Can Fly Because They Take Themselves Lightly. And I've not read the book, but in the book evidently it recalls a time when Richard Bimler was called to uh, or invited to be a speaker at a at a luncheon and during the meal the president of the organization came up to him and said and and, and asked him, are you ready to speak or should we allow them to enjoy themselves a little longer? Some of you got that. (laughs) So, should I preach or should I allow you to enjoy yourselves a little longer? I heard somebody sigh. <laughs> well, I want us to enjoy ourselves. As we continue on this journey of encountering simple Jesus, I hope you've enjoyed this series of sermons of looking just at the, the encounters that Jesus has had with, with individuals in the Gospel of John. Nicodemus, the woman by the well, the, the, the man who was sick for 38 years by the pool at Bethsaida. And now the the woman who is caught red-handed in the act of adultery and brought before Jesus. I I have enjoyed encountering Jesus. The more time that I spend with Him and in His Word, and His Word reveals to me who He is, I fall deeper and deeper in love and understand my need to be in relationship with Him. And He is so good. He is so kind, He is so strong yet so tender, He is so wise, faithful, loving, gracious. I hope in our encounter with Jesus today that we will find it enjoyable, maybe even convicting, but ultimately freeing. That we meet in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who gives us life and life to the full, overflowing with grace. In recognition of our new, well, the, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, Pope Francis, in, in, in remembering that we do have a new Pope, I, I came across this story of a newly Appointed bishop who asked for an audience with Pope John the 23rd, and he came to the Pope with the burden of his new office and said to the Pope, I cannot sleep. The weight of this responsibility is too much for me. And the Pope said to the new bishop, Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because when I became the, the Pope, I experienced the very same thing. Yet it was in midday prayer that my guardian angel visited me and whispered to me, Giovanni, don't take yourself so seriously. Laugh at yourself. And the Pope said, Ever since then, I have been able to sleep like a baby. And some of us need to take ourselves more lightly. We're Easter people, after all. Yes, we're on a journey, but the journey will take us to a cross. We look up to the cross, but it will bring us to the empty tomb. We look into the tomb We lift our faces as those who meet a risen Savior and give thanks and praise and joy and celebration for who we know God to be in Jesus Christ. We're Easter people, but some of us get stuck in Good Friday. Let's push through Good Friday, through the cross, to the tomb and to new life. We're Easter people after all. During a Sunday service, a little boy said to his, or asked his mother, he says, Mom, why are all these people singing to their shoelaces? He kind of intrinsically knew we are Easter people whose faces are lifted up. So we give thanks and praise to a risen Savior. So let us with smiles on our faces receive this good news that is ours in Jesus Christ. You know, at Chick-fil-A, they're doing a good job. Not only making a pretty good chicken sandwich, but they hire good people who become wonderful service providers and part of their training, this is not in my notes by the way, part of their training is that, uh, and, 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 and I understand that Chick-fil-A was down here with Tesis with recently and they, they were talking about what they do in customer service. And, and, and they, they showed them a video of how they train their employees at Chick-fil-A to smile at everybody who comes through the doors. And they showed a video of real life encounters of the Chick-fil-A people serving people. And then they went and interviewed those people. And they found that some of those people were going through some incredibly difficult and trying times in their lives. And that smile that they received in a Chick-fil-A restaurant did something to help turn them around. A woman who had come into the restaurant on the anniversary of the death of her husband of many years. And somebody else who had received a difficult diagnosis or was dealing with another situation in their family. And they got a smile at Chick-fil-A. Can people get a smile at First Presbyterian? This is good news that we're talking about here. What is, the, what is that first question in, in the shorter catechism, in the confessions of our church? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is good news that we're talking about, folks. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, it is good news and we need good news. We need good news in our lives For ourselves and this world in which we live needs your good news. And we meet your good news today. In you, our risen Savior. And in this scripture. We pray that by this encounter with you as our living Lord. That we might come to know ourselves better and know you. And thereby be changed. Day by day. Into your Easter people. Show us now once more your grace. And we will praise you. Yes, we will praise you. Amen. So there are a couple of things that I need to say about this text as we get into John 8, 1 through 11. The first thing I need to tell you is, is something along the line of biblical scholarship. Because John, actually John 7, verse 53 through John 8, verse 11, is believed by most scholars to have not been in the original text of John's gospel. Okay? Okay? It's not an original piece of what John wrote. Uh, The the earliest evidences in the oldest manuscripts have weak evidence of it being present there. We don't actually have the original piece of scripture that John wrote, we don't have an original piece of any of the Bible. But we have incredible verification by copy after copy after copy of Scripture. And we have multiple copies of the the Gospel of John. And a couple of the oldest ones are papyri 66 and papyri 75 that date back to 200 A.D. And when we look at those papyri, we see that this account is not in them. So most scholars agree that it was not in the original Gospel of John, but some would defend it. But I like what Bruce Metzger said. One of the gurus of of New Testament scholarship, a a Greek scholar of incredible, uh, renown, and and a professor at, at Princeton, he's no longer with us. But what he said about this particular text is this, this account in John 8, these first 11 verses. This account has all of the earmarks of historical veracity to it. And so he said it may not have been in the original, but we can believe that the historical veracity of this account was more than likely something that did occur in the life of Jesus Christ. It may have been in another work that was then added to John's Gospel But we can rest assured that in this event in the life of Jesus it holds true to the overarching theme of the New Testament and in it we see very clear uh, parallels with encounters that Jesus had with others in his life. There's a lot of veracity to it historically and and, and can be made textually, yet it is in our scripture. Maybe a footnote in your Bible records this, or sometimes this entire text is put in some translations as a footnote. But it is here in our text. It's in our scripture. It's before us today. The second thing that I want to say about this text is there has been a perversion of the interpretation of this text. We have seen in it an interpretation which we might call a half-truth. And there is nothing more dangerous than a half-truth. A bold-faced lie is not as dangerous as a half-truth. And this text in some circles has been used to say, oh, w- this woman who was called in adultery shows us that, yes, we all sin. And Jesus doesn't condemn her, so we shouldn't condemn others. We shouldn't make such a big deal out of such a trifling matter. Or as some have said, no one who has been flawed by sin has a right to censure another person for their Sins because we have all sinned, and none of us possess the moral authority to condemn another person. And so, this text has been used as an attempt to set aside clear biblical directives which demand discipline of apostate Christians. How loving would it be for us to see a sin in the life of a brother or sister in the community of the church and turn a blind eye and just say, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know that's going on, but we're not going to say anything about that. No, Scripture very clearly in multiple places calls us to call each other to account. Not with moral superiority, but with love and candor. So that we might not go away that would lead us to sin and to death the bible and jesus christ are not soft on sin ours or the sins of others and we see this in this text and so we need to look at the truth of the whole passage it's not just that jesus says to the woman where are your accusers does no one condemn you No, no one, she says. Neither do I condemn you. But Jesus then confronts her sin and says to her, Go and sin no more. He's very clear about her sin and names it. We'll say more about that. So let's take a look at this passage in more detail as we find Jesus in the courtyard there in Jerusalem teaching. And in this kind of classroom setting where Jesus is teaching, He is interrupted, the class is interrupted. As this text says, the Pharisees and the scribes bring to Jesus a woman who has been caught in the act of committing adultery. Now you can picture in your mind what she may look like. What color hair? How long is her hair? What is she wearing? If anything or very much at all. Are her hands freed? Or have they bound them behind her back? Has she been roughed up a little bit? Let's picture this woman as she is brought before Jesus by those with their self-righteous indignation to call her to account. And as this woman who is guilty is brought before Jesus, caught in the very sexual act of breaking the covenant of marriage. The text reveals to us in this question that is put to Jesus by the scribes and the Pharisees. This woman has been caught in the act, Jesus. And the law of Moses says that we are to stone her. What do you say? And what the text tells us is that these scribes and these Pharisees are not interested so much in true justice because if they were interested in true, true justice, they would have taken this woman to the appropriate authorities. For Jesus did not have authority to deal with a, such a legal matter. And the text tells us it is a trap. And the scribes and the Pharisees with this woman who is guilty before Jesus has him on the, have Him on the horns of a dilemma. Because on the one hand, if Jesus says she is guilty... She deserves to die. Jesus has broken the Roman law because He had no authority to bring her to justice, to pronounce upon her the sentence of death. The Roman authorities reserved the right of their subjects to say if they would live or if they die. We remember in the life of Jesus Himself that it is not the Sanhedrin who pronounces the death sentence on Jesus. They have to take Him to Pilate. who then carries out the sentence of death under Roman law. So if Jesus answers that way, he would be found to be in violation of Roman law. But if on the other hand, he says that she should go free, he is then circumventing the law of Moses, which says that she deserves to be stoned. So Jesus is caught here between the two, one and the other. Jesus, we caught her red-handed. And the law of Moses says this, what do you say? And what does Jesus do at that point in the text? What does Jesus do at that point in the text? He gets out of the picture. He bends down. He kind of removes himself. And the text tells us that he writes on the ground. And there are some commentators on this text who love to, to speculate as to what it is that Jesus wrote. What is he writing on the ground? We all want to know what it is, what truth, what law, what what word, what picture is Jesus drawing on the ground? But you know what I think Jesus is doing? I think he's playing in the dirt. He's doodling the dirt. And he's just removed himself and he's let their question just hang there in the air. You know, I wish so much in my own life when I'm faced with with a, a challenge to say, well it's this or it's this. And my natural instinct is just to react. Knowing that either answer is going to cause maybe not the greatest of results, but Jesus just kind of withdraws himself and kneels down in a very kind of vulnerable but Removed posture, doodles on the ground, and they keep badgering him. Answer us, Jesus. Give us an answer. What do you say? And there they are, standing there, ready to stone this woman. Imagine they probably have their rocks in 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 their hands, and and maybe they were carefully chosen, like this one was. Because after all, she's guilty. She deserves to be stoned and the carefully chosen rock that is heavy enough to cause damage and maybe crack the skull and is light enough, yet you can still get some velocity on it. They are ready. And how many of us in the church, we seem in the church to be such good stone gatherers, Stone carriers and we have them at the ready so that as soon as we discover somebody doing something that is outside of what is acceptable, we can let them have it like allowing their children to run in church or or playing the, the praise music too loud. Or knowing that you were messing up in your own life in some way, and it's rather obvious, and we are ready to let folks have it. We in the church are good stone gatherers, stone carriers, and they're ready. Jesus is doodling on the ground. And then he stands up. They're badgering him. Answer us, Jesus. And so Jesus stands up and he says, okay. She's guilty. You caught her. Let the one among you who is without sin cast the first stone. Because there is, there is, a, uh, there, there is, there is a flaw here. In the case of the Pharisees, and and Jesus has caught them in their tactical blunder. Because the, the sin that this woman is caught in is adultery, correct? And it had to be, at least by two witnesses, caught the act. And so she is guilty. But we know that the act of adultery takes not one guilty woman, but another guilty man. Where is he? Where is he? They grabbed her and hauled her in. Where's the other one who is guilty? And why is He not there before them? Because the law of Moses says in Leviticus 20 verse 10 and Deuteronomy 22 verse 22 that should a man and a woman be caught in the act of adultery, both of them receive the same penalty. He is absent. And the Pharisees or in violation of the law. And Jesus in a sense is saying, none of you is in a position to stone this woman. For you have disregarded the very law that you profess to honor. You haven't even fulfilled the law. And so those who had come to cast stones at the woman, or if Jesus should answer incorrectly, they would cast stones at him has exposed them, And what does Jesus do then? The one who is among you, you be the first one to throw your stone at her. And he removes himself again. And the object of their hatred, the hypocrisy of their righteousness is turned into a mirror. And they can only see themselves. And Jesus has exposed them in a way by removing Himself and doodling in the dirt and leaving them there. And then what happens is, is that those stones that they have so carefully chosen and are ready to hurl at the woman or at Jesus, (sniffs) are dropped. Yet how do they release those stones? For Jesus is sitting there on the ground, not waiting for them to throw the first stone, but waiting for the first stone to be set down. And it's the oldest among them that lets go of his stone first. And let me tell you, the older that I get and the more that I have to live with myself, the less likely I am to have to carry those self-righteous stones around to hurl at guilty people. And one by one, beginning with the oldest among them, they leave, they walk away, confronted with themselves and their own hypocrisy and guilt. And then Jesus stands up again and he says to the woman who is standing there in that very place where they brought her to her trial, Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? Is there not anyone here to condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. See, Jesus is the one, if anybody had the right to throw a stone who was sinless, it was Jesus. Jesus could have thrown the first stone, the second, and the third. But Jesus has said, I did not come to condemn you, but to give you life. I did not come to put you to death for your sins. I came so that in me you might find what it really means to live. And Jesus says to the woman, go your way. Go into your life. Go live your life. But he really doesn't say it that way. He doesn't say no one condemns you and neither do I. Go live your life don't sin anymore, He says go live a new life without this sin. Walk into your new life. Jesus Christ, when we encounter Him, we come face to face with our sin. And here is this woman face to face with her sin, and Jesus does not condemn her. He doesn't put her to death by her sin, but He offers her life. Those Pharisees and scribes who met Jesus face to face that day ran into their own sin and they had to turn away from Him. And I wonder if they were ever able to really go and pick up another stone to hurl it at another person again. I wonder if they were changed by that encounter with Jesus Christ. I wonder if this woman was changed by her encounter with Jesus Christ, that she walked into a new life and did not want to sin sexually, or in any other way to break a relationship with another human being or with God. But when we come to encounter Jesus Christ, we come face to face with our sin. In Psalm 51, that was our first lesson today. Is the psalm of David, Is a psalm of penitence. It's a psalm that he wrote, we believe, after he had been confronted with his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. And sin of murder of the husband of Uriah to cover up his adultery and the child that he had with Bathsheba. And it looked like it was all just clean and tidy. But God sent the prophet Nathan to King David. And Nathan told David this story. There was once a man who had a ewe lamb, his only lamb that he loved and treated like his, as if it were his own child. And one day, the king had guests come to his palace and the king decided to feed his guests. And instead of going to his flock of thousands to take from that flock a ewe lamb, he went to the poor man with the one lamb that he loved as if it were his own child and took that lamb and slaughtered it and killed it and served it to his guests. And David, upon hearing that story, said, that man That king ought to die. And Nathan looked at David and said, David, you are that man. And David, who came face to face with his sin, wrote this psalm and said, Lord, I am guilty. My sins are red as blood. Only you can wash me. Create in me a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. The sacrifice that is acceptable to you is a broken heart, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. In Jesus Christ, we come face to face with our sin, but also when we encounter Jesus Christ, we come face to face with grace. And This woman encountered that in Jesus. And she went away freed and forgiven To walk into her new life. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And the same grace that liberates her from her past calls her to walk free from them in the future. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, as a community of faith, are called to be those people who put down our stones and show radical acceptance to each other Not radical permissiveness to each other, but radical acceptance of each other just as we are. We say, come, come just as you are. And we say this to others and for ourselves in the hope that we, in Jesus Christ, do not stay that way. But become transformed by that encounter with the risen Lord. Who confronts us with our sin, yet covers us with His grace. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and respond to the word using the Apostles' Creed. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
3: Let us pray. Faithful and sustaining God, in this season of Lent, we are all too aware of our failings and our shortcomings. Help us to follow the example of your prophets. We desire to be faithful followers of your son all the way to the cross. And by your spirit, break through our apathy and increase our compassion and work for justice, empowering us for all that lies ahead. Give us the determination in this season to set aside time for prayer and quiet communion with you. In all the pressures and demands of our daily living, show us the power of silence that we may hear your word to us. God of tenderness and strength, help us to see where love and hope, faith and healing are needed. We pray for all those who suffer, the malnourished and the starving, the victims of violence, the survivors of natural disaster, and those who live with terminal illnesses. We pray for all those who are ill, especially persons we name in our hearts. We pray for those distressed in mind and spirit, the bereaved, the anxious, the unemployed, those who are hurt or afraid. Show us, gracious God, how we may work in our world right where we are to bring healing and wholeness into the lives of nations, communities, families, individuals. For it is your Son who first showed the power of compassion and unconditional love, and who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We'd like to welcome those of you who are worshiping with us this morning, either here in the sanctuary, at Spring Harbor, via television. I'd like to invite those of you who are seated in the sanctuary to sign the pads that are located at the end of the aisles and sign your name in and pass those along seated next to you. If you are new to us or visiting us this morning and you would like some information to be mailed out to you, we encourage you to fill out your address and telephone number in that form as we pass it along. While we're doing that, I'd like to highlight a few announcements. Following this worship service in the parlor today, there is a prospective new member lunch. So if you would like information on becoming a member of this church, we invite you to to join us for that lunch. Next Sunday from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. is the annual Church Family Day in the country. It's a great time of fellowship and games and food. We encourage you to please respond to the church office to let us know if you'll be coming so we make sure we have enough food. You can respond through the telephone or, or emailing Kimberly in the church office or filling out the form that's in your bulletin this morning. i also like to highlight, if you're uh, looking for an opportunity for fellowship and prayer, there's a men's prayer breakfast that meets every Thursday morning at 7.15 here. Wonderful group of men, and we encourage you to join that if you're looking for some fellowship and prayer time. There are many more events happening in the church. and You can find those in our bulletin, our newsletter, or on our website. And let us now continue to worship God with the presentation of our tithes and our offerings. most merciful and gracious God, from whose open hand we have received much, we ask you to accept this offering of your people. Remember in your love those who have brought it. Remember those persons and purposes for which it is given. And follow this sacrifice with your blessing, that it may promote peace and goodwill and advance the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.
0: Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ has come not to condemn you, but to redeem you and set you free. Go in the power of His love and in the joy of His amazing grace. Go and sin no more. Go now and walk into your new life in Him. And as you go, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship, the joy of the Holy Spirit be with you, and those whom you love, and God's children everywhere today and forevermore.
1: Amen.